Welcome to The Determined Mom Show, the only marketing podcast dedicated to guiding mom CEOs into tranquility, wealth, and multiplying those precious moments. Welcome to this episode of The Determined Mom Show. I have with me the lovely Stephanie McLarty, and she is the head of sustainability at Quantum Lifecycle. She's also an eco-entrepreneur and the owner of Wealth of Family. Welcome. Thank you, Amanda. It's so great to be here again. I know. I love it. You're one of the few people that have been on more than twice or more than once. That's really exciting. Today, we're going to talk about something that's very interesting. The last time that you were on, you were talking about your business. Yeah, my business was Refficient. It was a company that I started in 2010, and it was all about reuse in the telecom space. So we helped telecom companies to resell their equipment that they no longer needed and smaller companies to buy it. And it was like modems and set-top boxes and cables and stuff called head-end equipment. Mm -hmm. It was a wide range. That's awesome. Things that we don't actually know about, but that are very important in the business world, right? It's Yes, it's the infrastructure that delivers your internet and your cell phone and your TV. So yes. And they're all very expensive too, right? In order for a smaller company to acquire those, it's a huge investment. Yes. Okay. So for the small companies, and there's still many, many small companies around outside of the major centers, it's unaffordable to buy what the big companies that we think of, the big telecom companies, it's they have huge budgets. The small ones do not. So we created a, a mechanism to allow those small companies to get access to technology that Okay. That's awesome. I love it. So the reason that I asked you to be on is because your business was acquired by a larger company, which is now where you're the head of sustainability, Quantum Lifecycle. So tell us about the backstory there. I'm very fascinated by this because I'm in the, I would say the baby phase of my business. I'm going to be five years this year, next month, it'll be five years since I started Consider myself to be a toddler baby. Right. Uh, I think toddler would be like from five to 10 years. And then, you know, like, I don't know, that's just my, in my head, but so we've made it past the, the baby phase and we're going into toddlerhood. All, a lot of moms listening might be in that same position and maybe we're not thinking big enough. Maybe we're thinking, you know, this is just what I'm doing right now. There's going to be something else that comes after it, but we don't know what that thing is yet. Right. So how, what I want to talk about today is how in the world we can get from, you know, like our baby phase of business in the first five years to eventually maybe 10, 15 years from now, selling our business to another company or selling it to another entrepreneur. Well, let me just say, first of all, to make it past five years, you've overcome the odds. So congratulations. Like that's huge. And I would say you're, you're probably into the, you're well past baby, I think. Okay. Into the toddler, if not older than that. Yeah. As you're, you know, as you evolve. Yeah. It's, it's a good thing to start planting the seeds with yourself about like where you want your business to go. When I first started Reficient, I did not think about that future of, do I want to sell? When, what does that look like? But as the years progressed, I started to think about it and I started to 
make certain choices and in a sense position the business and myself so that at some point I could sell. And 11 and a half years later, after starting Reficient, that actually happened where I had someone come to me and offer to buy my business, which was really cool. Like starting back, there are some things that you can do. And first of all, I think the first question to ask yourself is, would I want that in the future? Yeah, I'm sure for most people, the answer is yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, yes, I would like to, you know, sell my business and be able to either do something else or, you know, relax for a minute (laughs) if that's possible. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So I would say when I, about three or four years after I started Reficient and we'd made it past, maybe it's in a similar stage to where you are now. Like we made it past that initial phase of like starting up and getting the business off the ground and we had really grown And to be honest, we actually grew so fast and I lost control of the company that we almost went bankrupt. And it was actually during that period when I realized that we've built a lot of great things here that could be of value to someone else. And so I started speaking to my business advisor about the different options of what the future might look like. And one of those options was having the business be a part of another business. And usually there's, there's a couple of ways of like why a business would buy another business. One is because of the intellectual property, um, the brand. Another is because of the talent so getting people to work for them and be a part of something bigger. And so it was during that period when I really started to think about that at some point I do want to sell one day and like, what are the valuable pieces to someone else? And in our case, from a technology standpoint, we had built out a software platform that we had used to like run our business, to sell the telecom assets, but also to get the sustainability data out of the process. Because for me, I've always had a passion in sustainability. And frankly, I would not have done that business had I not had that passion and, you know, kept going with it too. Yeah. That was really important. That's awesome. In that period, I realized that in our case, our telecom niche in terms of the type of equipment that we dealt with was of value. Also the sustainability aspect was as well. And in, I remember the first time I, I actually reached out to a company of ours or sorry, to a competitor slash collaborator of ours and actually had the initial conversation was during that period of my business. Like, I don't know what the future is because we've grown so quickly. I'd lost control. Like our expenses had far exceeded our revenue. And I was in this period of like, goodness, where do we go next? Panic, right? Panic. Yeah. Yeah. And so like selling the business for the assets that like that we had and the value that we had was, was an option. And In the end, like we ended up not only recovering, but like going on to have a record year and like it took the pressure off of needing to sell. And so I just stepped back and like just kept running the business. One of the things to start thinking about if you want to sell your business in the long term is who might buy your business. Mm -hmm. And 
most companies, it will often be a collaborator that you already have. So it could be a partner. It could be a supplier that you work really closely with, where it would be a natural fit to merge together. It could also be a competitor Mm. that you've been competing against. And if you put the two companies together, you could actually do so much more. Yeah. And then there's also companies that do something similar, complementary to what you do. And if you merge the two companies together, you could like bring two pieces of the puzzle together to do something more. And in the case of Refficient, eventually we were acquired by Quantum Lifecycle. It was pretty much that case, an electronics recycler that wanted to get more into reuse. And Mm -hmm. so by bolting us onto them and like leveraging each other, we we can do more. And and frankly, that's happened already in the few months since the acquisition. That's awesome. So starting to think about like those types of companies, your collaborators, your competitors, those other complementary companies and industries to you is a really good idea because then you can start like networking with them. So, yes. you know, connecting with them and who knows, who knows where things can lead. Yeah. And speaking of networking, how did quantum life cycle find you? Like how did the owner of that company or whoever, I don't know if it was the owner. Um, how did they reach out to you? How did that whole, cause I know they reached out to you. You didn't even have to find them. It was just kind of like, ah, Yeah. So like fast forward um, a few years and another company had approached us about a possible acquisition. They caught wind and I had a discussion with them. So that was my first time meeting the president of what's now called quantum. It wasn't back then. And we connected over LinkedIn and stayed connected. And thinking back to September, so 2021, right? Mm-hmm. 2021, so like a little over six months ago now, he reached out to me um, via LinkedIn because I think I posted something on LinkedIn and it was this little like light bulb in his head and where Quantum was at, they were looking to start growing through acquisitions and it was like, oh, right, Stephanie. And then he reached out to me and we had a conversation. That's a really interesting like lesson to learn right there because... Mm-hmm. It's not only about networking, but, you know, making sure that you're continually putting yourself out there. Frankly, I actually don't use LinkedIn on a regular basis. It's sporadic for me, but you never know. Yeah, that's so a great lesson. The, yeah, so it's important to have that, um, that online presence and stay connected. Mm-hmm. And I would say, so we've had a few instances in, over the years where it was possible acquisition. In a few cases, I reached out. In a few cases, people reached out to me. And for one reason or another, it was just never a fit. But this time when Quantum reached out, it was a time when it was a fit for for them, for me. And I'm really excited because culturally, Quantum and the company that I grew, Reficient, was very much aligned in many ways. So it it's been easy from a cultural perspective. And I think that's one of the key ingredients for success in any acquisition. Yeah. Are your cultures aligned? Because if you're not, then it's, it's going to be really hard to make 
the new alignment work. Mm-hmm. And also if you're taking your employees over or any of those things for there to be a complete different culture, that's just going to be really difficult for them. Absolutely. So yeah. we, were, we were really lucky. Uh, so in September, um, we reached out and had an initial discussion over LinkedIn. And then the team at Quantum came out to visit us in person. I would say this acquisition went really quickly because I had known them from before. It wasn't this like brand new, who are you, like needing to get to know one another. There, there was a little bit of history there. Mm-hmm. And it did go really fast. So it was end of September when they reached out, they came out for a visit in sort of early to mid October. And they concluded from their side that yes, they wanted to do this. And I was open to it as well. And one of the things I'm really proud I did in hindsight, in that very first conversation that I had with the president, I was very open about, I had a really good situation going on in my life because I was running Reficient. I was also running my mom entrepreneur community, like the wealth of family side of my business. And I had a really great work-life balance. And so I, I put that out there. Listen, like I've got a great thing going on right now. I don't want to work full-time in the future. Mm-hmm. And I've laid the ground for like, here's how it's going to work for me. Yeah. And I'm glad I did that because then it just like laid the groundwork for the conversation moving forward. Mm-hmm. And in the end, they agreed to give me a flexible working arrangement. I work 80%, uh, which is still a lot in comparison to what I was working before. But I will say that it was like revolutionary to even do this. So I'm glad I leave those seeds. So the next step of the process was coming to an agreement on what's called a letter of intent, an LOI. So the letter of intent is basically a document that you negotiate and agree upon saying, like, here are the like, high-level terms of what the sale will be. So the price and how that will be structured and what your employment will be looking ahead, those kinds of things. That's really important to get to that stage and get beyond it because you don't give away your your details until after you have that signed, after you have that commitment of, I will buy your business provided that, you know, due diligence checks out and like, here's the terms of how I will buy your business. Kind of like a property or, you know, any of those transactions, like a major transaction, you want to make sure like, the inspection is right. And like, you know, all of those things, the numbers are right. And you don't have to put $300,000 into a $200,000 home, you know? Absolutely. Thank you, Amanda, for bringing that up because that is the perfect analogy. It's like that the offer to purchase your home. And once, once like both parties sign that, then you move into the house inspection phase. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly this. So the letter of intents, like the, that initial offer and then due diligence is the house inspection phase. And that's where a lot of deals fall apart because once you start looking under the hood, you know, like a house, you discover all these problems. It's going to cost a lot of money. Like you have the option to back out. So in our case, we got the letter of intent signed later in November. 
And then due diligence started and they gave me, the lawyers gave me 18 pages worth of questions where we had to answer and upload information to. And I was like, oh my goodness. And for, it was a simple company. So as part of this due diligence, there were 18 pages of questions to answer, which was overwhelming to be honest. And there was a real intent as well to move this along as fast as possible. One of the things, one of the pieces of advice that had been given to me many years earlier was to start putting all of your important documents into an online folder so that in the case of an acquisition, that you weren't searching for documents, they were there. And so I will say that I did that for a certain period of time, didn't necessarily keep it up to date, but it did help a lot when I went to look back and find things like trademarks that we had filed like early on in the business and like legal agreements and things like that. So when thinking ahead to, if you want to sell your business, start doing that, start creating an online folder and, and making sure all of your important information is saved so that it will be easy to access for future. I love that. Yeah. Great. It was great advice. Yeah. I responded to the questions. It took me a couple of weeks to get through all of them. And then from there, we moved into the purchase and sale agreement. For some companies, from what I understand, due diligence can last a long time, like months. In hindsight, what happened in our situation was that we did it concurrently to the purchase and sale agreement. So they basically were verifying things while we were preparing the purchase and sale agreement. Ours was a very simple acquisition. Mm -hmm. I was the only owner. We had no skeletons in our closet. It was very simple. We're a small company. And so it, it really wasn't that difficult, but if there's complexities there, you can expect that that process in itself can take a lot of time. Interestingly, one of the issues that did come up that I've heard in hindsight, like other companies have really struggled with, and you wouldn't think this, it's around the environmental aspect. If you own a building, if you, like in our case, we didn't own, we just leased space in a building, like they look at all of the environmental implications of, you know, soil contamination and things like that. And we're like, but we only lease our space. Like how can that be a factor? But there's so many liabilities mm-hmm. in an acquisition or that they want to make sure they're, they know what they're buying and they're not. To that, risk, that right? Was, yeah. Yeah. And I have a question about that. So were they taking over your space and like still using the re-efficient office or the re-efficient office? Yes. And okay. Okay. That was so, so that's a, a really great question. And it, um, in our case, yes, they were keeping much everything as it was. Interestingly, Quantum made another acquisition about the same time. And with that one, they moved the company into the existing Quantum facility and closed the other one. So it can happen both ways, but in our case, they kept the facility. Okay. And I wonder if that other company had that same issue with their due diligence process. Out of curiosity, if they knew that they were closing that like if that was their plan from the beginning, I wonder if they had to go through that part of it. That's a great question. Yeah. I, I would think 
probably not to the same extent as us because they were moving out of it pretty quickly. But I know of another company locally who was acquired a few years ago and that acquisition almost did not go through because they found like these potential issues. And again, you would not think like they had nothing to do with the business. Yeah. But in this day and age, it's a very, it's a very hot topic for, for risk and, mm-hmm. and liability. So in our case, so in December, um, we started working through the purchase and sale agreement and that process took four to six weeks. And when I look back at those four to six weeks, it's probably the most, or one of the most anyways, intense periods of my life. I say one of the most, I'm like, hmm, you know, dealing with a newborn. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those first six <laughs> weeks are like a blur. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in this case, there was just so much to do. And it was also layering on the emotional side of it, which was on the one hand, you know, preparing, preparing myself that I was ready to let go of a business that was kind of like my baby yeah, that I had nurtured over 11 and a half years. Older than your baby, right? Yeah. Yeah. Your first baby. (laughs) My first baby. Yeah. There's that emotional aspect of it. But something that was that I also had to manage was the fact that these things are never done until they're done. Yeah. So until the day of the acquisition, when everything is signed and the money is transferred and all that, like you never can fully bank on that they're gonna get done. Cause like up until that point. like something can happen and like they can pull out. It's also managing that aspect of it too, where it's like, okay, I think this is going to happen, but I still, I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, I still have to like make, just be very conscious of that. And I remember thinking it was about the second week of December in terms of my mom entrepreneur community. Like, I don't want to make any changes until I'm quite certain that this is going to happen. These changes are going to happen in my other side of my life. And by that point, I was starting to get the sense of, no, this is like going to happen and fast. And I need to at least position myself that I'm not going to be spending the same amount of time, like in the mom entrepreneur stuff. And I got to stop coaching and, you know, thinking about how that's going to look for future. So that emotional side of it was really challenging yeah and we also had like our dog died in that period oh, and it was like, sorry. like it was just a really crazy time so went on the day of when the sale actually happened the biggest emotion that I felt was yeah then it was like yeah all that pent up like anticipation and uncertainty is just taken away like ah oh, yeah And so it's been a process of coming down off of that um, emotional craziness Mm -hmm. of that period. And I wondered too, if having now kind of a day job when I hadn't worked for someone in that was going to be really hard to manage and if I wouldn't like it. And honestly, it's been better than expected. I think because I prepared myself for the worst mm-hmm. because like I'm sure as like you've been an entrepreneur for five years yeah I'm thinking back, like 
could you go work for someone else again? Like you get used to a certain freedom and flexibility. Yeah. And, but in my case, it's actually, it's been, it's been better than I expected because I expected the worst, which is maybe myself like protecting myself. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But it's, it's been fine. And I've been relieved and I do feel relief from things like thinking about sales and like how much sales do we have coming in and like, do we have enough to cover staff and all those things, which I'd learned to manage very well over the years there now that I no longer have them, at least not in the same way, I do feel relief. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause you know that you're still going to get paid no matter what happens. You know, you have that like, yeah no matter what, I am an employee now. Like there is that interesting difference and I don't know how to describe it. There's like so much freedom in being an entrepreneur, but there's that, well, I wouldn't say that because there is still uncertainty in, you know, being an employee, right? Because what if the company, I mean, COVID, you know, like what if the company closes? What if they get bought out by a bigger company? Like there's just so many variables there um, in being an employee, but there is, I guess, maybe it's a false sense of security when you think about it. Um, You just can't necessarily see them as an employee, but they're still there. mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things my advisor had said um, many years ago is that in selling your business, and getting a financial payout, it's sort of like having, how do I say this on a podcast? But it's basically having like money in the bank where like you don't have to depend on someone else. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it's like freedom, like screw you money. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you want to keep that I like on the that. podcast. Yeah. Or like there, I, the original word that was given to me was like even more yeah. crass than that. Yeah. But in a sense, like there is a freedom in having that now, Mm -hmm. like no matter what happens, you've got some money in the bank, like, you know, you built this up Mm -hmm. and there's, there's freedom in that as well. So like getting to this place, it's, it's awesome. And it's like freedom in a different way. So like now I'm working for someone, but I also have more freedom in other respects. And, and I will say one thing too. So when you sell your business, usually you're expected to stay on for a certain amount of time. And often it's a defined period. Like your contract is for a year or two years. Mm-hmm. In my case, there was no defined period given. They, they want me to be part of their team. Mm-hmm. I think they wanted to think of me as like a longer term employee, but it's often the other case where you have a set amount of time that you're expected to stay to help transition the business. So that's something to be aware of as well. Like if yeah. in most cases you don't sell and walk away, you sell and you stay for the transition mm-hmm. at least. And one of my colleagues at Quantum, he sold his business to Quantum 15, 20 years ago. And he's still there. So awesome. you never know what the next chapter will bring. Yeah. And, and I think that's the nice thing about selling is like it closes one chapter of your life and opens you up to redefining yourself or doing something new or different yeah, and like seeing what else comes up. Yeah. And I love that you set that boundary at the beginning for them of like, okay, this is how much I'm willing to work. I don't want to have, you know, like I like my lifestyle. I need to maintain at least some of that. Um, I love that you did that. And I think that's really great advice for 
any of us that are, you know, potentially thinking about selling our businesses in the future to like, make sure that you define that going into the negotiation instead of making it an afterthought. Absolutely. Because, you know, the financial terms, like that's all great, but if you're not going to be happy or if it's not going to be successful, then like nobody's going to be happy. Like you want, I viewed it as Proficient was like my baby and I want the legacy of that to like remain strong. So it's about finding the right fit. And in my case, there were a few times over the years where I had these conversations and we got to various stages of the process. Looking back, glad it didn't work out before because it was the right time and the right fit with quantum for when it happened. Yeah. And things are just meant to be. And I know I keep thinking about the house buying process, but it's so similar and like so parallel to this. Like even when you're looking for a house and you find that perfect house and then something goes wrong and you don't get that house, it's just not meant to be. And it's very hard in that moment to see like that wasn't meant to happen. So like those sales that you had been offered before were not meant to happen. And it's just, you just have to trust, I think, like trust the universe, trust God, whoever you believe in, whatever you believe in, just trust and know that it's going to happen the way it should. Absolutely. Trust in the process. And, and also like, it always starts with mindset, right? Like if you have the, the mindset, the intention that this is possible for you, then at some point it'll show up. Yeah, definitely. I love it. And I want to go back one more time to what you were talking about, about LinkedIn. The only reason that this happened, well, he might've remembered you eventually, but you stayed at the top of his mind because he saw your post on LinkedIn. So you, you know, you kind of bubbled back to the top and he was like, oh yeah, she has a company that, you know, is super aligned with what we do. And, you know, maybe she would want to sell. So let's talk to her. So Posting and networking is going to be really, really important for everyone. I feel like business networking is the most important thing. And then also keeping up with those contacts because you never know what position they're in, who they know, how you can help them, how they can help you, all of those things. So I I just think that's a really, really critical part of your story. Absolutely. Yeah, it was building those relationships and then like in some ways staying top of mind. And in this day it's online. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I would say in the company acquisition space, it's probably more LinkedIn than others. Yeah. I doubt Instagram and Facebook are going to be super <laughs> good for that. You never know if you have a personal connection with that person, but definitely for business, LinkedIn is number one for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your entire experience with your acquisition. And I absolutely love everything that you shared. And I thank you for being willing to talk about it because I know it's something that just happened. It's super fresh and super new, but I'm very honored that you chose our audience to listen to the story. Yeah. This is my first time actually talking about it Mm -hmm. in a venue like this. So thank you for for giving me this opportunity. And I, I hope it's helped someone and just to think a little bit differently and think about, you know, what's possible for them. Yes. I think that's a really important part of this episode is just reframing your, your thoughts around, okay, 
act like I am going to sell my business in 10 years and how should I be structuring it now? What are the things that I should be doing every day that's going to set me up for that? And how can I build my network to make that easier? I think those are the two biggest takeaways that I'm hearing from what you're saying. Absolutely. You nailed it. Awesome. Well, how can people get in touch with you? Where do they find the wealth of family, which is your mompreneur uh, group? So wealthandfamily.com is my mom entrepreneur business. And my main community is my Facebook group, which is now 5,500 moms. Mm. And that is mom entrepreneurs supporting moms. And you'll find it linked through the wealthoffamily.com um, webpage. But that's Perfect. where most of us hang out yeah. and connect and collaborate and all that. Stuff. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I will put that in the link in the show notes. So then that way people can easily access that. So thank you so much, Stephanie, for being on the show. Thank you, Amanda, for having me. Thank you for listening to the Determined Mom Show. We appreciate you. And we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This will help us reach as many other moms as we can. Don't forget to download your 10 things you should be doing to get more clients from Google search guide at rebrand.ly forward slash Google 10.